welcome back to the London Futurist podcast. In this episode, our subject is the rise of the robots. Not the military kind of robots or the automated manufacturing kind that increasingly fill factories, but social robots. These are robots that could take roles such as nannies, friends, therapists, caregivers, and lovers. They are the subject of the important new book, Robots and the People Who Love Them, written by our guest today, Eve Herold. Eve is an award-winning science writer and consultant in the scientific and medical non-profit space. She has written extensively about issues at the crossroads of science and society, including stem cell research and regenerative medicine, aging and longevity, medical implants, transhumanism, robotics and AI, and bioethical issues in leading-edge medicine, all of which are issues that Callum and I like to feature on this show. Eve currently serves as Director of Policy Research and Education for the Health Span Action Coalition. Her previous books include Stem Cell Wars and Beyond Human. She is the recipient of the 2019 Arlene Eisenberg Award from the American Society of Journalists and Authors. Eve, welcome to the London Futurist podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us, Eve. Eve, what led you to write about the subject of social robots? It actually kind of arose organically from the last book I did, Beyond Human, which was about converging technologies in medicine and the creation of bodily implants, artificial organs, other implants and assistive devices in the body. And as I got towards the end of the book, and I wrote a lot about patients and personal stories of patients, and as I was researching all this, I kept coming across this tantalizing mention of social robots being used in rehabilitation and in medical context. I said to myself, I've got to delve deeper into this. So when I finished the book and I actually started seriously searching directly on social robots, I was amazed that there was already a body of scientific information, published papers. A lot of studies have been done on this topic. It was just so rich and so intriguing that it almost wrote itself. I just couldn't resist doing another book on it. You write in your book that these robots might be called emotional robots and ethical robots, as well as social robots. Can you explain about that? Well, this is the goal that roboticists are now working on with robots. And we actually have quite a few prototypes being tested now with people that have the ability to show emotion. Some of them are kind of rudimentary. They have almost cartoonish faces. Their eyebrows move and they show emotions. Others are very lifelike and almost uncanny in their realism and how they actually express emotions. That's one side of it. The other side of it is that these robots are trained to recognize human emotion. They can read human facial expressions and even body language and then respond in an appropriate way. What their makers hope is an appropriate way. 
So Eve, when you talk about emotional robots, that means robots which are designed to provoke emotions in humans or to detect and analyze and to a degree understand emotions in humans, not robots which have emotions themselves. Is that right? Yes, Callum, and that's a really key point because currently robots don't have the capacity. They don't have an emotion chip, so to speak. That may not always be the case. We don't know. I've been surprised before by science. But to date, what they do is they pretend to have emotions. And the thing that I write about, the interesting phenomenon about that is that we very easily fall into believing that they actually do have emotions and they have an inner life. Once you start to combine the elements of movement, speech, facial expression, and language, it creates a very compelling illusion that can easily lead you to think, no matter how hard you try not to, that there is an actual inner life to that robot. We humans have a great propensity to anthropomorphize things, to see faces in the moon, for instance. Mm-hmm. We give names to cars, for instance. Maybe that's particularly a male thing. And I'm sure we will do that very extensively with robots. Just a thought I had. Presumably, you can't have an emotion unless you're conscious. Is that right? Or can an unconscious entity have an emotion? To my knowledge, you have to be conscious in order to have an emotion. It's almost meaningless when you think about it. If you had a machine that wasn't conscious, that had an emotion, it's kind of like when a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it. It doesn't make sense. I've never thought about this before, but I'm just thinking a robot could behave in a way that a human would behave if it was angry. It could give every sign of being angry. It could behave in an angry way without being conscious. You could program it to do it or it could learn to do it. Something could go wrong and it could do it. I'm just wondering whether actually perhaps emotions are detachable from consciousness. But this is perhaps getting a bit too philosophical. Well, I'm always open to those kind of discussions. And it is a fascinating question. Not to put too fine a point on it, though, in terms of the types of robots that I've seen and studied and that I foresee coming down the pike in the next decade or so. Yes, they can be induced to behave in an angry way by people who hack into them and also by toxic content that they can obtain from the web because they're plugged into the internet. And there's a lot of toxic content out there. Actually, recently, some MIT scientists trained a robot on material from the dark web, and they created what they called a psychopathic personality. Other scientists, when they went and tried to counteract that programming to reverse that effect, were unable to do it. So... Once these robots are released into the wild, so to speak, and start interacting with people and all kinds of people, people with good intentions and people with ill intent, then they're capable of emoting and acting and doing things that they're told to do. That's kind of the bottom line. Some of this might sound a bit philosophical, but on the other hand, these social robots are changing the lives of people with loneliness 
or people with dementia. There are some remarkable stories of this already. Do you foresee wider use of social robots in these contexts in the years ahead? I absolutely see robots in that context. It doesn't take a lot of imagination when you look at the needs that exist in society today. People with dementia, for example, it's very difficult to take care of an Alzheimer's patient in the middle stage or the later stages of the disease. They need constant supervision, constant monitoring. You cannot take your eyes off of them because they tend to wander. They also will do things like ask a question over and over ad infinitum. And no matter how many times you answer the question, they will come back and ask it again. And this is the sort of thing that a robot could handle very, very well. As far as the monitoring goes, with their cameras and sensors, they can monitor that person, alert caregivers if something's gone awry, and they can engage in the conversation of a person with dementia. Even if it doesn't make sense, they're going to have infinite patience doing that conversation. You also touched on loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic in the modern world. I think Britain even has a problem like that. I know the U.S. does, and Japan kind of leads the whole world in this problem. There are men in Japan who get very, very addicted to virtual girlfriends. I profiled a man in my book who actually married a hologram of an anime character. So, yes, there's a lot of need out there. There's also a lot of vulnerability. And it's a double-edged sword because loneliness and robots, there's a positive side to it and there's a negative side to it. The positive side is that you can meet a need that is so severe and so widespread, but the downside of it is that people who interact with technology on a regular basis tend to see their social skills atrophy. Even though you can be in a relationship with a robot, and it could be a very rich relationship, over time, you will lose the type of relationship skills that you need with a human being. And that's kind of the dark side of it. That marriage in Japan between the man and the hologram, was that recognized by the state? No, it's not recognized by the state, but the company that makes the little glass dome with this little female holographic character in the middle of it, the company that makes it actually gives out, upon request, a marriage certificate. These people do have weddings. They do have ceremonies. It's something that is taken very seriously by people who are very vulnerable. Yeah. What's your hunch? I suppose it depends how far out into the future we look, because what they're capable of doing now is nothing compared to what they'll be able to do in five years' time, and that will be nothing compared to what they'll be able to do in 10 years' time. Mm -hmm. But what's your hunch? Is your hunch that these things will have a good impact and will enhance human welfare, or that they'll have an atomizing effect and we'll all go off individually with our robot lover and never talk to other humans again? I think that there will be a period of readjustment for people. 
that could be a rocky road in the next decade or so with people who are so dazzled by this technology that they have a hard time keeping it in perspective. And they even have a hard time establishing a bright line in their robot relationship between fantasy and reality. I think that's inevitable. But I do think that over time, when people get used to using these robots, interacting with them, and then it starts to become clear to them the differences between a robot and a human being and the things that a human being can bring to a relationship that robots cannot and for the foreseeable future probably will not be able to bring to the table, that people will become more sophisticated. But there's going to be growing pains. If you look at something like social media, no one predicted before social media became a widespread thing that it would be used so much for misinformation, for propaganda, for toxic messages. And we're going to have the same kind of growing pains with robots, I think. But I do think we'll come out on the other side of that. And on the other side of it, there's going to be tremendous benefits. In fact, there will be tremendous benefits all along. I just think we need time to become sophisticated about using them. It was very much the case that in the early days of social media, we were all excited about the spread of information. We were excited to say that even a small child in the third world country had more information in their hands than was available to American presidents just a couple of decades earlier. Mm-hmm. And when the Arab Spring started rolling in 2011, we thought, great, this is the triumph of new kinds of communications mechanisms. But nowadays, there's lots of evidence that the wrong kinds of use of smartphones can drive people to mental ill health. There's a correlation. It's a bit disputed, but there seems to be some evidence of a correlation between smartphone use in teenagers or early 20s and suicides. As one of the pioneers of smartphones, I still want to defend them as something that we can use to make us smarter, better people. But I do take the point that we're going to have to develop new mechanisms, new processes, new understandings. I totally agree with you, David. The problem is that nobody can predict with any kind of certainty how these technologies are going to play out until they actually get out into the wild. And people start using them and all kinds of people use them and start experimenting with them and doing whatever they can dream up in their imagination for these technologies to do. You can't program a robot either to anticipate and deal with and correct any single thing that that robot could learn because it is a learning machine. And it's learning from a lot of different sources. The most important one probably is what it's learning from people. People are the problem here in this equation to some extent because they can act in ways that corrupt the purpose of the technology. There are the possibilities that robots could learn much more quickly than humans. Because one robot that learns something in one interaction, that information can be shared across the cloud or through the programming of other robots. So I tend to agree with Callum that the robots we have today are going to be 
eclipse significantly by those in five years' time. And again, another five years will take them to much higher levels of capability and understanding. Absolutely. Who do you think are the leading players at the moment, Eve? Obviously, Boston Dynamics has been putting out very impressive videos for years, and Tesla's robots have improved dramatically over the last couple of years. Are they the main players, or are there lots of others? They are major players, and there are lots of things going on with big companies like Apple and Microsoft and others that are technology giants. But there's also a small robotics company that I find fascinating. It's called Hanson Robotics. They're the ones that made a robot called Sophia. Sophia is one of those hyper-realistic robots. She converses. She's extremely expressive. In fact, I find her face a little bit unsettling and disturbing because her expressions are so over the top. But... Sophia, in 2017, became the first robot to be given citizenship by the nation of Saudi Arabia. I think we're going in the direction of robots like Sophia. We have social robots that are in use today. They tend to be kind of childlike in their appearance. They're clunky. They have simple expressions. Their conversation, though, is pretty sophisticated. They're intriguing in the state that they are in today. In the future, I'm sure they're going to add things that will be like more expressive faces and even more sophisticated conversational abilities. It would be remiss of us to talk about robots without talking about Hollywood movies or indeed other movies about robots because there's been some great ones and there's been some bad ones. So I've got a little list of a dozen movies featuring robots. How about we go through these and... You give us your view about whether they're any good or not. Okay. I've done them just in alphabetical order. So we'll start with Spielberg and Kubrick's film, AI. I think it's one of the best. It tackles the issues that I write about in my book, where you have a woman who has a nurturing relationship with a robot child and has to suffer the grief and the heartache of losing that robot. To me, that's one of the best because it brings out the reality that we will have very strong and rich attachments to these robots. I think discussions are always much more fun when people disagree, and I wholeheartedly disagree with you about that. I think AI is a terrible movie. I think it's mawkish and sentimental and nonsense. And apparently, I saw an interview with Spielberg. He says that the sentimental stuff came from Kubrick, and he wrote the harder-headed parts. I see what you're saying, Callum, that it is sentimental. But the thing is, it's the first movie that I've seen that actually presented this theme of people getting emotionally involved with their robots. Well, no, I take that back because Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, did that. But that, to me, is the big area that needs examinations. I thought it was good that they expressed it so well and made it almost to the point where, as watching the movie, you would struggle to keep believing that this child was not human. Yeah. Okay. Well, the second one is Ex Machina. I think that's a reasonably good movie. I'm a little bored with the cliche of the robot rising up and destroying its maker. I think that's been done so many times that I didn't care too much for the ending But 
that movie had some good moments and some good parts to it. So, I mean, I think it's definitely worth watching. I like the way that it was a very ambiguous ending. She doesn't always behave well towards the humans, but at the end, you don't know whether she's going to turn out to be a force for good or a force for bad. Yes, it was a little bit ambiguous. But to me, the idea that a robot is going to almost inevitably... I've just seen that so many times. A robot is going to go bad and end up destroying the person who created it. Anyway, it wasn't my favorite movie about robots, but it's a very watchable movie. I wouldn't dissuade anybody from watching it. Yeah. The themes you pick up, Eve, aren't so much robots deciding to do bad things to humans, but rather humans by our ignorance or by our mistakes, we end up doing bad things as a result of our interactions with robots, such as losing our grip of reality, losing our other social skills and interacting with other humans. So you're emphasizing this human-to-human consequences of humans interacting with robots. Yes. So the third movie is iRobot, the Will Smith vehicle. I have to confess I haven't seen that. I'm one of the few Americans who, for whatever reason, haven't seen that. What did you think of it? I thought it started well and got very disappointing very quickly. Just became a very standard issue. Shoot them up quite quickly after an interesting premise. David, have you seen that one? Oh, yes, indeed. It's an exploration of Asimov's laws of robotics, showing that these principles, which sound good, end up with contradictions. So questions of aligning the programming of robots so that it will dovetail with what we humans expect, it's more complicated in reality than any simple formula might want to assert. So I liked it for that reason. And then the fourth one is a more recent movie called I'm Your Man, which is a German film in which a woman is given a robot to trial and to evaluate for a few days and develops an interesting relationship with the robot. I know you like that one, Eve. I did. The reason I like that movie so much is because it hits on some really big themes. The first theme is that we like to think of ourselves as rational beings. We don't believe that we could actually be taken in by a robot, whereas our emotional and social hardwiring says something completely different. I think they presented that well. The other thing was the slow wearing down of the woman's resistance in relationship to that robot. And I think that like any other relationship, over time, things evolve. Our initial reaction isn't where we end up usually. I thought they presented that well. I thought it was an excellent movie and I really recommend it. I thought it was very sensitively done and asked the big questions and I thought it handled them in a very interesting way. I do think it suffers from the drawbacks that almost all these movies do. This this trope that one day there are no robots in the world, and then the next day there are robots walking around which are completely indistinguishable from humans. And in fact, they behave as the most sensitive, the most sophisticated, the most nuanced humans, as well as being supercomputers. There's no indication of how all this processing is going on. It's going on, it seems, inside their skulls, whereas in fact... To get anywhere near the level of processing that would have to be happening, you'd need a football field full of computers. And then the humans betray a staggering level of arrogance and a staggering level of 
lack of interest in the inner lives of these robots. So other than the fact that it suffers from all the usual Hollywood tropes about robots, I thought it was a really good movie. I did too. Maybe instead of going through the entire list, because we've run out of time, I just wonder, Eve, if there are others that you'd particularly like to mention that you thought were particularly good and encourage people to watch, or other movies that you would not encourage people to watch because they might be entertaining, but they'll give people unhelpful ideas. And nightmares. Yes. (laughs) One of the movies that was on your list that I thought was quite entertaining was Robot and Frank. That, to me, was an entertaining movie, even though in a lot of ways it was completely unbelievable that the robot would be more ethical than the man, that it would somehow have some kind of ethical guidepost internally, which isn't really anything that I see coming down the pike in the immediate future. But it had the day-to-day interaction of a needy person, a retired man who was living alone, and how he could get into a very intricate back-and-forth relationship with the robot, and how he could actually get it to do things that were not good things to do. This is the sort of thing that I think will happen. We will train these robots through voice activation. So all we have to do is tell them what we want them to do, tell them what we like and what we don't like. And they learn from us. They're like a child just absorbing everything that we give them, everything we say to them. And not everybody is going to use them for good. That was one of the big themes of that movie, even though it was basically pretty much a comedy. But I did think it was sufficiently thought-provoking to make it more than a comedy. Yeah, I completely agree with you about that. And in fact, I think it's a good counterpoint to the first one we talked about, AI because it's not mawkish, it's not sentimental. It was funny and light and quite clever. I think we ought to talk about Wally as well, because Wally is such a great movie on so many levels. The lead character, Wally, is adorable. His friend, Eve, is just wonderful, and their relationship is great. And the way that the humans are portrayed, they're all on a ship which is cruising around the universe while some robots are cleaning up the environmentally degraded world. And humans have built robots to run the ship for them. So they don't have to do anything. So they just lie around in lounges all day and stuff their faces and watch movies. But they're not portrayed as being stupid or venal or evil. They're just like overgrown children. And once it becomes apparent that the robots are misbehaving, the humans snap out of it pretty quickly. They snap out of their torpor pretty quickly. So I really like that movie. I think it's terrific. I agree with you. I thought it was a really intelligent treatment of the subject matter. It was nuanced. It wasn't riddled with cliches like so many of these types of movies are. I would like to watch it again. It's been a while. Now that we're speaking about it, I think I'll probably try to stream it tonight again and watch it again because it really is a good movie. So we're talking about different kinds of robots. There's the garbage cleaning robots, and then there's the robots that look like humans in many ways. What about robots that might replace pet animals? People like their pet dogs, but sometimes they are difficult to look after. They're noisy. They can make a mess. Do we think there might be robot dogs displacing our canine biological friends anytime soon? Well, there already is a robot dog that's very popular in America. Its name is Ibo. It's robotic. It's cute. It wants you to pet it. 
it tries to connect with you emotionally and people enjoy it a lot. However, as an animal lover, I bemoan the fact that up to a million dogs and cats are euthanized in the U.S. every year. I don't believe that these pets will ever really replace a living pet. And the reason is because, and it's the same way with the humanoid robots, there isn't a genuine human emotional connection with another conscious living feeling being. And even though that illusion can be created fairly easily and we're very vulnerable to it, over time, we're going to realize that we're not connecting with a living being. And that's something that a dog can do and that a human can do. And we know our emotions when we lavish all this care and nurturance on them. We know it's doing good. With a robot, all your good intentions are kind of going into the void. So I hope robot pets don't replace real pets because I'm a big believer in the therapeutic qualities of animals to make our lives much happier. Now, if your job title is Director of Policy Research, we've been talking about possible scenarios for the future. Are you making recommendations for policies that governments might put in place or that organizations might put in place to guide and constrain relationships with social robots? We're still a very young organization. We're only about a year old now, a little more than a year old. So we haven't actually done that yet, but that is exactly what we'd like to do. We would like to be informative experts on how these technologies might be controlled and maximized and how do we get the best out of them and to the best of our ability, avoid the worst of them. We are definitely in the policy advising business. We don't do lobbying because of our tax status. We're not allowed to do lobbying, but we are allowed to research and write up papers and advisories that can be given to people who write legislations. We definitely want to play that role, and I think we will. We're just now starting to recruit more members as part of our alliance who are in the robotics and AI business in terms of healthcare, and that's a huge area. So many things are being done by robots and AI in healthcare, I know, in this country. And people are just not aware of it. They don't realize how much more efficient and accurate and the pace of research using robots and AI in scientific labs to do things like gene sequencing and drug discovery, things like that. The pace is being accelerated just astronomically. There's clearly a role for what we might call intellectual robots or robots that can carry out tasks like exploring new drug possibilities. Or in my case, I had a surgery a while back that was assisted by a robot, for which I was very grateful. But the social robots are a bit different. They are ones that might look at the effective needs or the social needs or the emotional needs of patients. Earlier, we spoke about Sophia from Hanson Robotics, but Sophia now has two sisters. 
the same basic software, but with some tweaks and with a different appearance. One of them is Desi, who is a pop performer, pop singer. But there's also Grace. Grace has been designed by Hanson Robotics to work as a healthcare assistant robot. There's a lot of possibilities that deserve to be explored because patients suffer a great deal through lack of resources. And if robots are able to step in, either in the intellectual way or in the socially interactive way, that's definitely worth figuring out in advance and highlighting. It's so true, David. These robots can combine so many different functions within a single robot, including the social aspects, but also delivering real hands-on caregiving. They can lift people out of bed, put them in a chair, in a wheelchair, put them back into bed. They can bathe them. They can do all kinds of things while being socially interactive. And we're just at the beginning of this. I think it's one of the most important uses of robots. I don't know about the UK, but here in America, we have a caregiver shortage. And I know in a lot of Eastern countries like Japan, Japan has a very severe caregiver shortage because of the demographics of an aging population coupled with uh, falling birth rates. We're not replenishing the workforce of caregivers and it's falling on families and a lot of them are spread out so thin that it's just not an optimum situation. Caregiving robots to me are one of the near-term uses that are really going to knock people's socks off. I wonder if there's any topic in your book that we haven't really addressed that you'd like to leave in the minds of our listeners as we start winding the conversation up? one topic that I found really intriguing, and that's the ways that social robots will change human culture. I think they will have a dramatic impact on how we live and are in the world. And I say that because based on research, people tend to believe that robots are more intelligent than we are. And they tend to imitate and follow robots and make robots almost their mentors. And by doing this, they change the way they relate. They become more stripped down in their emotional expressions. And they also can become a little more alienated and detached from others. It's just a fascinating thing, but People tend to be highly influenced by robots. I don't know that that'll always be the case. It may not be. You know, again, we're talking about the growing pains here and the periods of adjustment. But I think culture is going to be changed radically just from the standpoint of using robots in all these different contexts. Everybody will be using robots, whether it's in their job, in a retail shopping situation, as a home assistant as a therapist, and that is going to change us. I'm sure that's right, Eve. It's funny, we've seen robots in movies forever. Metropolis was filmed in, I think, 1920 or something, so 100 years ago. We're well used to the idea that robots are coming, but they're probably coming now much sooner than most people think, and they are going to be tremendously impactful. It'll be really, really interesting to see how it unfolds. It's going to be a fascinating ride. The next 20 years, I think, are just going to amaze us. 
If people want to get some more thinking about this topic, I strongly recommend your book, Eve, Robots and the People Who Love Them. Not just about robots, it's about humans, which is entirely what we'd like to talk about on this show. Thanks so much for coming on board and wish you all the success in figuring out what policies to recommend to talk with politicians and other legislators about. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks a lot, Eve.